Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. That was a short one, wasn't it? Well, while we're waiting on some folks to get back in here from taking their children, for the last two months, we've put booklets out on the table and encouraged everyone to take them. They're free and to complete it. The, uh, the booklet that's there is really an introduction to Christianity, New Testament Christianity. Is, and um, we have a second one that will come, but it's primarily for those who have been, who are baptized believers. And it's a follow-up to help you grow. It's a 10-week thing. We'll have several hundred of them put out for you to take and to, and to complete. If you've completed the first one and you've never been immersed, you should talk to us about getting yourself baptized. So I wanted to mention that to you. And uh, let's see, I had an... Oh, yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention to you, as soon as church is over today... If you can help us a little bit and make sure you clean up around your place where you're sitting because there's a funeral here at 3 o'clock this afternoon and, and we need to get the place presentable for that, uh, for that funeral. Now, now, that being said, the sermon topic that's assigned to us is from the 18th chapter of the book of Proverbs. Now, before the service is over, at the end of the service, I'm going to need your all's help. We're going to say a few proverbs together. Now, you can cheat and look at your outline because it has what we're going to do at the end of it anyway. But it'll be to your benefit to you, if you don't have an outline, go back there and get one and follow along with it. And, and today we've left several uh, blanks open to be filled in with a pen or a pencil. The emphasis of this 18th chapter and the verse right before it of the book of Proverbs talks about something that we're hesitant to say, or at least I am. I'm, I've always been uncomfortable with calling anybody a fool. Now, the reason for that is because of what Jesus said in the fifth chapter, verse 22 of the book of Matthew. He was talking about uh, different people and, and things you can say and you shouldn't say. But here in verse 20, here's what, he, here's what he says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceed, well, he's talking about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 22, he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. And, and I've always been uncomfortable with that, uh, even though I knew there was a reason for it. For you see, in the New Testament, now I, I'm, not an, I, I, I'm not uncomfortable, I am really uncomfortable with Hebrew. I, I've never had a class in it. I've just picked up a few little words here and there uh, through studying through the years. But what I am comfortable with is Greek. I've, I've studied it, still study it, and um, actually taught freshman Greek at a time at Kentucky Christian years ago. In the Old Testament, 
was about 200 years before Christ, was translated from the Hebrew into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And, uh, and so uh, when I check the meaning of words, I, I have to go to the, to the Greek text in the Old Testament. And, and the New Testament was Rick primarily in Greek and, Par- and Aramaic, Aramaic anyway. Now, I need to tell you something because I'm stuttering around here. Back a couple, less than two years ago, I had infection in my mouth, and they removed four of these front teeth and put in a thing that's supposed to last me till I died. It didn't. And so it fell out the other day. And I had to go quickly on a Friday. I had to run back up to Columbus and get a temporary put in. And ever since then, I have difficulty pronouncing the words that you'll see every once in a while. So be patient with me. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm to go back on, I think, the 22nd and get a permanent thing. And it's a freebie. It should be for what I paid for it. But anyway, the, the use of that word fool has always been made me uncomfortable until I became a student of the Greek language and I learned that there are actually four different words in the New Testament that are translated fool in the English. The one that Jesus uses here when he said anybody who does this will be in danger of the hells of the fires of Gehenna or hell was a word that is comparable to us using a profane term about someone if we were to call somebody an sob or something like that you're liable to get slapped in the teeth what jesus was saying in the greek term this 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 greek term is similar to that kind of profane and and mean-spirited nasty thing to say about somebody now there there are others that just mean foolish things because i say they're actually four different words that are translated fool or foolish in the bible and so this whole text here from in the 18th chapter of the book of Proverbs deals with the word fool. If you, go, if you get back to the 17th chapter, the closing verse of the 17th chapter, it says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. So actually, this whole section and what we're going to talk about has more to do with the tongue than just the word fool. Because the, word, the tongue is, uh, the, in the Bible, James, who is, in the New Testament, there's one book that is, that is comparable to the book of Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, so on and so forth, and that's the book of James. It's classified as wisdom literature. And James talks a lot about the tongue. And, and he says, you know, it is a, an extremely powerful tool that you need to be aware of. He, he, he uses several different illustrations. He says it is like uh, a rudder on a boat. I don't know whether many of you have ever been on a cruise or not with these big seven or eight stories high cruise ships with thousands of people on it. And they're up front, there's a cabin about the size of this platform up here where there's a pilot and a captain. And he has the controls of that rudder in the back. And it's a little old bitty thing compared to this gigantic boat. And Jesus or James says, hey, the tongue carries that kind of power. On a negative thing, the scripture indicates that it can leave a scar 
that is there forever. The tongue is so sharp. My mother used to say some people have a tongue that you could use to cut hot butter. It is just really a powerful tool. And if you ever took an apple and took your fingernail or a knife and just made a little cut in that apple, let it set for a day, it has a scar on the, on the, on the skin of the apple. The Bible teaches that words have the capacity to leave a scar on the hearts of humans that will be there until they die. And that you should be very, very careful in the use of the tongue. Because, and you know, when I was in business years ago, one of the most disappointing things that I ran into was this. That there would be, because I was in steel mills and other places where there were some pretty tough hombres, really, that worked there. And, uh, and, and I found out to my disappointment that some of the guys who were officers in church and some of them who preached on occasion, they used the same type of filthy, foul language that, that the sinners that use. And sinners really watched this. There were two brothers that worked in, in the Ashland plant at Armco. One of them would go around all the time saying, oh, Jesus loves you, hey, da-da-da-da-da-da. Laziest human that ever took a breath. His brother, a foul-mouthed, ornery cuss, would work like a coal mine mule. Non-Christians watch that carefully. They see that. They watch that. I was sitting outside of the plant manager's office one day waiting to talk to him about something, and he was on the phone with the corporate office in Middletown, and I've never heard such filthy language in all my life. F-bombs flying right, left, and crooked, and this guy was a deacon in his church. If you wonder, if you wonder why the church has lost a lot of its influence in the world today, it's because too many of us live about three different lives. We live a life at home. We live a life at church where we get all cleaned up and, and, uh, and, and you would think that uh, we're all going to heaven when we die, but nobody wants to get on the boat now. And then, then, there's the, then there's the people at work. And they're three different people. The New Testament calls that hypocrisy. And Jesus used the harshest terms that he could use in describing the hypocrisy that existed at that time among the Jewish people. If you read this text, you will find out that windbags are often called fools in the scripture. My mother introduced me when I was a high school kid to a guy she grew up with. His name was Wendy Ward, but that wasn't really his name. That was his description that he had to live with. And it wasn't W-E-N-D, it was W-I-N-D because he was all mouth. And uh, I've, I've never forgotten that name, even though he's been dead and gone for a long time. Some people are just windbags. Uh, we had a guy here in, in Portsmouth, I'm certain he's dead now, that used to be a guy who called in people back to work uh, at the railroad. His name was Radio Gardner. And Radio was famous around town. But, and and he, uh, I suspect the reason they called him Radio is because he didn't have a button to turn him off. He just talked all the time. The scripture actually describes people like that. 
and not in too favorable a judgment. I'm going to read these nine verses and then we'll go ahead. An unfriendly man pursues selfish interests. He defies all sound judgment. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinions. You get that? He's a windbag. When wickedness comes, so does contempt, and with shame comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It's not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the innocent of judgment. Then he, did, then he starts talking about the tongue again. A fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites danger. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a gossip are like choice marshals. Everybody likes to hear it. They go down to a man's innermost part. And he says the guys that are like that are also slack in his work in the ninth verse. So let's look at your outline now and let's move through it. And if you got a pen or a pencil, you can fill in the blanks as we go. My mother described this passage of scripture and the people. She was my primary Bible teacher forever till I went to a Christian school. She used to say, blessed is he who toots his own horn for it shall be well tooted. And that's the way people who like to hear themselves talk are. Now, this is all in spite of the fact that everything in common sense in the Scripture indicates that we should be better listeners than we are talkers. Because if you look carefully at, 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 your, at your make, if you go before the mirror to shave if you're a fella or to paint the barn if you're a woman... When you get before that mirror, there's something very obvious. You've got two ears and one tongue. That ought to tell you we ought to do at least twice as much listening as we do talking. But there are those who are not like that. Did you ever get in a crowd where somebody had to do all the talking? You know who they are. It is, it is that kind of individual. It doesn't make any difference how smart they are or how entertaining they are. Because many times these entertainers will be addressed here later in not too favorable a light. You have one tongue and two ears. And when you go to the book of James that I was talking to you about in the New Testament, there's actually some really good advice here in the opening verse, even though he addresses the subject of the tongue in, in more than one place here in the book of James. But in the opening chapter... Verse 19, he gives us practical advice as a Christian. Now, he's writing to a church, in actually a Jewish church in, in Jerusalem. And he gives them some practical advice about their tongue. Here's what he says in verse 19. My dear brother, so he's writing to Christians, right? Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Then he goes ahead and addresses that. 
with some other advice about cleaning up their language, get rid of moral filth. And I think we need to address that at times because there's a certain number of Christian men in particular who push this envelope beyond which the scripture permits. All of us know that have been around a little bit that dirty jokes are often really entertaining and funny. But the scripture says, watch out here now in the use of your language and avoid that kind of, of gross talk. And we'll talk about that a little later down under the third outline here, uh, the third section of your outline. Now, the Bible also says that within the framework of religion, there are people who classify as one of these four words who are a fool. They're, sometimes it's translated foolishness or just foolish, but it's the same root word. And, uh, and he, he talks up, Jesus uses illustrations about that kind of situation. If you look carefully in the book of Luke, in the 20th chapter, or the 12th chapter of the book of Luke, verse 20, he talks about someone who is a fool. And he is a guy who believes that there is security in wealth. Now hang on. Because the Bible does not condemn money. The Bible, it's, it's like today, what do these stupid politicians do? They think the problem of people getting shot are guns. It's the guy who does the shooting that's the idiot. He's the fool. There's nothing wrong with money. It's just stuff. There's nothing wrong with guns. They're just pieces of metal. It's the heart of the individual who uses them that is very clearly. Uh, and, and so, in fact, money and guns both can be good. Guns, in many instances, have been the source of providing food for people. I personally like to go quail hunting. My eyes are bad anymore, and they're perfectly safe. If I go, I just get to watch the dogs. But... And then when we lived up in Illinois, there were pheasants all around us. I'd get up early in the morning, go get... When we moved here, our, our freezer had about 30 or 40 pheasants in it, frozen to eat. Alice K. could fix those things, so it was just virtually simple how good they were. The gun did it. So we have a tendency sometimes... To blame the, the somebody, to put the fault on someone other than accepting it ourselves. The problem is the hearts of people. The intent, and and here we have a guy, who thinks that if he can accumulate enough wealth, he's secure. And see what and 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 the Bible is very clear about the good part of money. the The Bible says, and this is James talking again. The, the, the guy who cares not for his own, especially of his own household, is worse than the infidel. Our responsibility is to provide for our families. You do that by accumulating money to buy bread and beans and whatever. So it, it, it's, it's the intent and the, of the heart of the user that's important here. And But... We have a tendency, and, we, and our world pushes this all the time. The world says, 
I want you to earn enough money that you can continue to live in the same lifestyle as you lived. I want you to be able to live that way when you retire. I want you to be able, and we could have if, if Alice Cake had Kate quit having children. She kept having babies, and then her babies started having babies. And you know what? On a couple occasions, they sent them to us. Hey, you had them, you take care of them. No, it doesn't work that way. Grandmas and grandpas often inherit things that we didn't order, you know. And, 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 and so, you know, and, and so you're now you're supposed to be able to retire because in our particular case, we had three foster children. One of them was here not too long ago. We had five of our own. We educated a couple of kids in Uganda. I hate to tell you this, but when you get through doing that, there ain't much left unless you're just really fortunate. And to, and to say, well, I want to I live in my retirement even better or at least the way I lived when I was raising my family, get in the real world. You're not going to live long anyway. So quit, quit being so greedy. You know, back off. Drive. My first wife drives a car that's really nice, but it's 14 years old. And she really likes it, and I hope she continues to. It's really a good thing. So, but here's this guy in the, in the 12th chapter, and Jesus is using this as an illustration. And so he talks about him, and, and, and the guy... He's already stinking rich. And uh, he says that the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. He said, then I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Now you can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, you're a fool. This very night, you'll die. I don't want to accumulate a whole bunch of stuff for my wife's second husband. Are you awake? You get that? I don't want to do that. I'd rather give it to someone else. Now, so the scripture says that a man is being, even though he's extremely religious, his heart was set on wealth rather than what God saves us for. God doesn't save us us to get rich God saves us to represent him to the world and you can't be you can't be accumulating wealth for the sake of wealth and being a really good promoter of Jesus Christ at the same time even though God doesn't condemn wealth but he does say this if you do get wealthy now get wealthy with good works be rich in good works, is what he says. Why? Because you've got more to do it with. So you need to look at yourself. Alice Kay and I have, in the past, have been really blessed 
because of a few dollars we put on the stock market. But we've given almost all of it away. And I'm telling you, it's a real joy to see the lives of individuals that you've been, that you have helped. When we go back as soon as we can, get back to Uganda, one of the first things she does is look up a young lady she put through school. She put through school. She's got a little baby now, and and uh, uh, we, we we're supporting another young guy over there. It's real joy. It is joy that I cannot put into words to know that God has given you the resources to help other people. Why would Alice Kay and I accumulate a lot of stuff? She's really, you know, 38 years old if you're, if you're dyslexic. Why would she accumulate a lot of stuff? And I'm older than she is. What are you going to do with it? It's more, it is absolutely joyous to be able to give it to somebody that needs it. Most of our kids don't need it. Most of our grandchildren don't need it. We've got grandkids who are making $120,000, $150,000 a year. Two of them are doctors. They ought to be sending it to us instead of us having to send it to them, you know. So let it go. Let it go. Use your resources to, as a blessing and an advertisement for how good Jesus is. And you will experience pleasure beyond words. Now, you you go on and 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 the thing that's embarrassing for me is to admit that there are some really well-known religious people who the Bible says when they make converts are converting them to a system that leads to hell. That's strong talk. It really is. When you look here in the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, when's the last time you heard a preacher talk this strong? We'll look here in 23rd, we'll look at, uh, at verse 20, starting at verse uh, 15. This is Jesus talking now, and he's talking to religious leaders. You see, you can be religious without being Christian. You can be a person who goes through rituals and so on and so forth and go to hell on a skateboard. It's the condition of the heart of the individual that gets you to heaven. But they thought it had to do with something else. So here's what Jesus says. Now listen to this. This is tough talk. Starting at verse 15. He says, Woe to you, which means put on your hard hat and flak jacket. This is not going to be pleasant. He's talking then. He said, You teachers of the law... And Pharisees, these were religious leaders. You hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. That's tough talk. But what it says is, you can be a part of a religious system and not be saved. The system doesn't save you. Jesus does. And if you're saved, the way you handle your finances, the way you handle your tongue, the way you live your life, if it isn't an advertisement for Jesus Christ, you better do some serious self-evaluation.
you can actually be a convert. You can actually be a religious leader and win your converts to hell. This greed that we're talking about has always been a problem. I was teaching a class in Uganda of about several hundred preachers. And I made the statement there that I make here. A preacher should not live above the average individual in his own congregation. Even though they say, oh, but my people want me to have... This is in Uganda. Two people got up and left, both of them carrying iPads. And when I asked who they were after it was over, one of the young fellows there at Destiny at the children's home said, well, this one has a a congregation of about 5,000 people. He has three cars. He has a, a house that you can land a Piper Cub in. And they get, this is in a developing nation of, and they were living a life of luxury and ease off the backs of some of the poorest people on the face of the earth. I think that's sinful. I do. Now that's my opinion. You're welcome to yours, but I don't want to hear it. Okay? Now see, this has always been the case. When you look here in the 11th chapter of the book of Luke, and then we'll look at 1 Timothy as well, it's a scripture that supports what I'm saying. And this isn't pleasant to talk about. It's just necessary because we're talking about things that are really important. But here in verse 39, Jesus said, Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, the outside of a cup, you, you wash the outside of a cup and a dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. He calls them fools. He said, if you're going to be genuine, you're as clean on the inside as you're on the outside. Now, that problem of people being greedy and using religion as a mechanism for, for greed is, was, repeated, was, was practiced in the New Testament era just like it is today, just like those guys in, in Uganda that was really sad. But listen to what happened. This is uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy Tim, in First and Second Timothy. Timothy was the preacher at the church, over the churches in Ephesus, one of the big cities. And he writes to him about a problem because Ephesus is a wealthy city. He said, if anyone teaches, this is starting at verse, uh, what, three, I guess, in the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he's conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies, in quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth, now get this, and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. It's all right to raise millions of dollars in a church if you use it to help people. People who need it. 
I've been proud of you folks because you've raised considerable amount of money for Patrick and Eddie and for a church plant in Uganda. Take some sacrifice and it's genuinely appreciated. That's, but that's what God expects of us. He expects us to be willing to deny ourselves of luxury in order to bless others with necessities. Does that make sense to you? Deny yourself of luxuries in order to bless others with necessities. So they were full of greed and wickedness. Now let's talk about language in regard to the tongue. A fool uses language that's ungoverned by God. Now, when I use the word governed here, I'm not talking about some politician. I'm talking about an instrument that used to be on buses and trucks and so on. They had a, a governor on there that would only allow the engine to go rev up so fast so that you wouldn't speed. It was, it was a thing, and the guys who knew what they were doing would knock it off so they could drive faster. But that thing was called a governor. It is, the, it is a controller, and, and uh, that's what I'm talking about. Now, I want you to look at some scripture here concerning how we should use our tongue to keep from being a fool in the eyes of God and in the eyes of others, too. The first thing I want to point out to you, it's here in, in the book of Ephesians, in the fifth chapter, and the fourth verse. This fifth chapter of Ephesians, by the way, is, is the chapter where we talk about husbands loving their wives and wives, uh, you know, being subject to their husband that nobody wants to read anymore. But here in the fourth verse, I'll read verses, start at verse 30. Listen to what he says. But among you Christians, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity and of greed because these are not proper for God's people nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking these are dirty jokes which are out of place but rather use the tongue for thanksgiving for this you can be sure of this is tough talk no immoral impure or greedy person, because they're an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now that cuts it pretty sharp. So we should avoid coarse joking. You can't help but have to listen to it at times, but you don't have to participate in it. First, number one, coarse joking. Number two, and Timothy, uh, Paul addresses this, to young Timothy, he says, stay out of stupid arguments. And there are religious arguments that people get into that you should avoid. We were talking to, one, to some folks about one of them this morning. There are those who believe that God is in charge of everything that happens. Everything. And then there are those who don't. One of them is, it pushes predestination. The other one over here pushes freedom. Don't blame, don't get in an argument about that. You know why? Because the scripture isn't abundantly clear about it. 
So you have to let people have their opinion, listen to it, but don't, don't split over it. Don't argue. There are churches that exist to say God is in control of everything. And the Bible specifically says that Satan is in control of death, destruction, and a lot of things. But God gets blamed for it. Satan does exist. He does create evil people. And he is responsible for death and destruction. That's his thing. And I can take the time, if you want me to sometime, to make that abundantly clear from Scripture. There's no question about it. At the same time, what God has promised will come to pass, will. And he's in charge of that, and then nobody can do anything about it. So he says here to the Corinthian church, or, or rather, I'm sorry, to the Ephesian church, here in Second Timothy, don't get into these stupid arguments that divide people. It's not, it's not something you can do. Here in verse 23 it is, isn't it? He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. And even those who oppose him, he should gently instruct. We should be able to sit down and to express our opinion and have people differ with it without being angry and divisive. Then we should go to the Word of God and see what the answer really is. There's too much division, so avoid stupid arguments. Number three, stay away from people who purposely create controversy in the church because they do exist. The people, and the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, wrote to Titus, and he told them this. He said, this is in the third chapter. We'll have to move on and have to go right to verse 9 when he says, but avoid foolish controversies. People who create controversy because they like to see a fuss, an argument about genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable and useless. And, and now get this. And he says, don't put up with it in the church. Here's what he says. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And after that, withdraw fellowship. They see that dividing of the body of Christ for whatever the motive might be, a selfish motive, as something that is so serious that you should exercise what's called church discipline, which means withdrawing fellowship. And lastly, and we read this in the 18th chapter, verse 6 of the, of the book of Proverbs, where it said, you know, stay away from people who are who keep saying the Bible isn't true. Just stay away from them. Don't even let them in your house. Because if you do, you become, the Bible says, a participant, a participant in what they're trying to establish. Okay, now this is as far as I'm aiming to go on my own. It's your turn now. So wake up, if, and, and if, if he's asleep there, wives, give him the elbow. 
and because and I need your help. Because here's the deal. These Proverbs are... Does anybody ever remember Loman Abner on WPAY years ago from Pine Ridge, Arkansas? Loman, well, poorly educated. We, I do all I can to help you. But anyway, they were on WPAY years ago, on WLW years before that. They had a little grocery store in Pine Ridge, Arkansas. This was all on the radio. And every once in a while, Lum Edwards would come up with something and, and, uh, and Abner would say, Lum, where'd you get that? He said, why, it's an old Edwards saying. An old Edwards saying, or old timies have proverbs that they would use all the time. That's where, the reason I gave you that one, where my mother said, blessed is he who toots his own horn, for it shall be what? What? Yeah, you're waking up now because you got to do better. Now, I'll give you one that you already know. Now, you finish it. A fool and his money are? A fool and his money are? You, that bunch last night has put you all to shame. Let's do it again. Let's see if you can. The answer is, if you can read it here, are soon parted. Now, everybody say it. A fool and his money are? Now you're coming awake. Now we're not done yet. And so here's the deal. If we can hide these biblical proverbs in our heart, then the Holy Spirit has something to work with when we get in a position where we're exposed to them. Now follow me closely. This is what, because you cannot carry this Bible with you 24 hours a day. But you can carry the Word of God in your heart. Things that you've memorized that the Holy Spirit can use as a tool to help you in living your Christian life. And so another one would be that, that you have. Now, it's the second one here in case you can't. You can read, look at it, and then help me. Soft words turn away. Yeah, soft words turn away wrath. We're talking about the use of the tongue, right? See, you can talk to people with an angry tone, or you can talk with them with a sharp tone. You can, but he's saying here, if you want to keep down wrath, watch your tone of voice. Soft words turn away wrath. When I get angry and, and, and say something unkind to Alice Kane, I've done it, I think, once through the years. They, you guys are skeptics. And she will pout. Not so bad anymore. She used to pout for three days. Because it, it's like that apple with the cut in it. It stays put there. And it does damage. Now the beauty of getting old is, she can't hear me when I say it. And vice versa. But the intent, it's, it's just a bad thing. We need to learn to speak with softness and kindness to keep down that kind of thing. All right, now you ought to already know this, but you need it because it's, it's biblical. From, and uh, the fool has said in his heart, about time, jeez, can't you read? I gave you the answers. The fool has said in his heart, Right. Now, and so, do you know that 33% of the graduates from state 
supported colleges now say there is no God. 33% of our young people are graduating from state-supported schools and they come out saying, I don't believe there's a God. So we, we, we have to be aware this is an issue that you need to be up on. So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Then the one that, that, uh, that you look at there, if you, and I, I'm just wanting to repeat these often enough that they're in your mind so the Holy Spirit has a tool to work with you on in, in, in living your life for Jesus. You, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. That was Jesus illustrating the use of a camel that goes through the eye of a needle, which was another exaggeration for effect. Okay, so the, these are proverbs. And if we can put them in our the idea is you learn the proverbs from memory, and then the Holy Spirit can use them to help you in your relationship, husbands and wives and children, because those of us who are men are told by the Apostle Paul, don't be so harsh with your children that you cause them to have resentment. Don't be so harsh with your children that you cause them to have resentment. And that's directly addressed to daddies. Now, that doesn't leave the women off the hook because too often the women will say, wait till your daddy gets home. And then she'd come in the door, you're honorary kids, blah, 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 blah. And then you, then you lie. You need to avoid that kind of stuff because it isn't the kind of attitude that, that, that will cause our children to love Jesus. That doesn't mean that you don't exercise discipline, you don't run your home. It just means that the tone of voice is tremendously important and the use of the tongue is a powerful tool. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us what we need in your word for us to be effective representatives for your kingdom here on earth. I ask you, Father, if you'll bless each family represented here. Teach them through your Holy Spirit and your, and your written word to be kind to each other, loving to each other, encouraging to each other, so that we can become effective representatives for your kingdom here on earth. We ask for your assistance through your word and through the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of each other in becoming godly people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Not very good. Amen? You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.